You're listening to The Corbett Report. CorbettReport.com Welcome, my friends. Welcome to another edition of The Corbett Report. Of course, I am your host, James Corbett, podcasting to you, as always, from the sunny climes of Western Japan, here on this third day of December 2011. And I would, of course, like to invite everyone to take a look into CorbettReport.com, my homepage, that's C-O-R-B-E-T-T Report.com, for previous editions of this podcast, as well as articles, interviews, and videos I've created and conducted in the past, and links to the documentation for the very episode that you're listening to right now, where you can find, of course, all of the articles and videos and everything else that's cited in today's episode. You'll find links to it right there on CorbettReport.com, as with every episode of this podcast. So once again, thank you for investing your mental energies in alternative media that I hope will be informative and and hopefully nutritive for your brain instead of stultifying like the corporate pablum that's fed to you through the corporate-controlled media. And on the note of the alternative media and the independent media and the commercial free media, of course, CorbettReport.com is independent, alternative, and commercial free. And in order to stay that way, of course, I do need your support. So let me just start by thanking all... Each and every one of you who signed up to become a subscriber to the Corbett Report this week, of course, just donating 100 Japanese yen, about $1.40 per month via the PayPal subscribe button on CorbettReport.com slash support. Of course, without the help of the subscribers, I just could not possibly do this as a full-time endeavor. So I am deeply indebted to all of you. And of course, that's why I launched the very first edition of the e-newsletter, the Corbett Report subscriber on the 1st of December. So I sent that around to everyone who was on my subscriber email contact list. If you did not receive your copy of that subscriber newsletter for whatever reason, please get in touch with me through the contact form of CorbettReport.com and we'll try to sort that out and see if we can get that delivered to you. And I certainly hope that uh, that you did enjoy it. I've already received quite a bit of positive feedback. Of course, the Corbett Report subscriber e-newsletter containing news and analysis, recommended reading and viewing, Corbett Report highlights, a subscriber exclusive video, and discounts on the Corbett Report DVDs. And I say DVDs plural because, of course, now I have the new Corbett Report uh, Data DVD Volume 1. And this is a brand new data DVD that should play in any computer system that will contain all of the podcast episodes, interviews, articles, and videos on CorbettReport.com from 2007 and 2008, which is almost, uh, it's pushing six gigabytes of information. So it's a dual layer disk, and it's an incredible amount of uh, information on one disk, literally hundreds hundreds of hours of media and hundreds of articles that uh, I wrote in that time period. So I certainly hope that uh, that you can uh, support the Corbett Report by buying your copy. Of course, it's 5,000 yen for the general public, but as subscribers know, if you get the December newsletter, there's a link for a 50% discount. You can get all of that media for 2,500 Japanese yen, somewhere in the neighborhood of $30. So uh, I, I certainly hope for people who can support my work that you will get your hands on that I think it will be a valuable tool and of course I do encourage you to make copies to hand out to people and strangers and family and friends and everyone and any orders that come in this weekend I am going to try I'm going to try my best to get them fulfilled this Monday and ship them out on Monday and supposedly according to Japan Post if I get them out on Monday they will supposedly reach North America in time for Christmas I have absolutely no idea if they'll be able to deliver on that promise, but uh, but that's what they're saying. So if you get your order in by, uh, by Monday morning, at any rate, I will try my best to get it to you by Christmas. So if you are planning to give one, a copy out as a gift, I think it would make a good gift for unlocking people's minds. So having said that, of course, all of the uh, podcast episodes, interviews, articles, and videos are freely available for download on CorbettReport.com. So if you do not have the money, do not have the funds to help support this, then do not worry about it. You can download all of these files individually. It would just take you a very, 
very long time to do so. <laughs> so I think this is a handy compilation for people. And again, it's all of that information on one DVD. So I certainly hope if you can help out that you will purchase a copy. To all of those people who have already purchased a copy of their DVD, thank you so much. And as I say, I will be shipping out the first round on Monday. So look for that in your mailbox, hopefully before Christmas. And on that note, let's get straight into today's podcast episode. So it's always been that way. They plan the world to have big business, and we're simply the hands uh, that they hire to make their dreams come true, you might say. And, of course, now today we're in the, the post-religious society, and they're into uh, the, 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 the scientific elite priesthood society, where every expert is on television every darn day telling you how to put your socks on and stuff like that, what to wear that day and, and how to behave, etc., etc., etc. We're being managed in a more incredulous fashion than any religion ever tried to do in previous times. And it's going to get a lot worse because the big boys like Russell and others who wanted this system said the scientific dictatorship would be very, very um, excessive in its demands and it would be utterly ruthless as well. And that's what we're in. Welcome, my friends, to episode 211 of the Corbett Report podcast, Expertology. And of course, what you have just been listening to is the incomparable Alan Watt of CuttingThroughTheMatrix.com and his radio broadcast, of course, on Republic Broadcasting. And what that excerpt right there demonstrated was really the basis of what we're going to be talking about today. And I thought it was only imp- appropriate to include a clip from Alan Watt because it was really Alan Watt that I heard first really articulate this point at great length. And so I think it's only fitting that I begin today's podcast with Uh, Mr. Watt's ruminations. And that's because, uh, of course, I was quite influenced by Alan Watt's thoughts on this uh, for a very long time now. And it was interesting going back through the archive of old podcast episodes in the creation of my new Corporate Report Data DVD, listening back to episode 48 of the podcast, How to Read the News, which which was quite a good podcast episode, if I do say so myself. And and that is one of the points addressed there, that, uh, that these experts are being dragged out with increasing frequency as the society is more and more dumbed down to try to tell us how to live every facet of our lives, how to run and manage and manipulate everything we do so that we don't have to think about anything. All we have to do is rely on the experts. So the underlying fundamental premise for today's episode that we are increasingly a society that is being driven by and manipulated by and told what to do by experts who are are trotted out in the controlled media and and basically telling us what to do. This concept is very basic, and I think it's very easy for people to grasp, but its implications are quite profound. So it's a deceptively simple concept. And today I want to explore more of this expertology, this expert society that's being crafted as part of the scientific dictatorship, which of course we have been examining on this podcast for quite a long time now. So I'd like to start out this episode of the podcast with a little bit of a thought experiment that you can actually try right there at home and you can play along with us right here on the podcast. And the great thing about this experiment is you can repeat it over and over and over and get different results every every few weeks or every few months or every few years or whenever you want to try it. And I'm, I have no doubt that the results will always be interesting. So what am I talking about? Well, first of all, go to a start a search engine like startpage.com or scroogle.org. Of course, search engines that do not track your, your every move and leave malicious cookies and the like on your system are the best. So I always recommend scroogle.org or startpage.com. Page.com, but whatever search engine you want to use, go there and type in, in quotation marks, the words experts say. And for those who don't know about search engines and how they function, how they operate, if you put a term in search, a search term in quotation marks or in inverted commas for our brethren in the UK, uh, that indicates to the search engine that you want to search search that exact search term. So those exact words in that exact order. So go and to, to your search engine and type in experts say in quotation marks and see what kinds of really bizarre headlines will pop up and these headlines will merge from the uh, will range everything from the absolutely mundane to the inane to the insidious to the downright malicious 
And I think, well, let's just take a random sampling from what I was able to garner when I did my own search today just a few minutes ago here on the 3rd of December 2011 here in Japan. And as I say, the the, the results really do range quite wild, widely. So here's just a, a random smattering of some of the results that I found. For example, from healthfinder.gov, a safe tan? No way, experts say. Or from The Guardian, European Fiscal Union, what the experts say. Or arsenic, experts say real apple juice danger lies in calories from cbsnews.com. Uh, or we have the CT Mirror, ctmirror.org. Fuel experts say gasoline consumers had it easy during recent storms. Or this one, probably the, the, the most inane of the bunch. I just, I can't even say this with a straight face. MyWestTexas.com. Pet shouldn't be impulse gift, experts say. <laughs> oh, well, thank you, experts, for that, that amazing drop of wisdom there. And, and to a certain extent, perhaps there's nothing particularly insidious about these, these headlines and the fact that experts are being used to construct these news narratives. I think to a certain extent, it is just sloppy journalism combined with tight deadlines and the need to produce a story. Well, so what's an easy way to produce a story? Slap together something that's absolutely not news by any stretch of the imagination and just uh, attribute it to some a couple of experts, quote-unquote, that you uh, that you dig up for a couple of obligatory quotes, and there you go, bingo, bango, sugar in the gas tank, you have a ga- uh, an entire news story like this pet shouldn't be impulse gift, experts say which is just as inane as it sounds. And I will, of course, include the links if you actually want to go and check out these articles, but I wouldn't necessarily recommend it. But it's just to prove the point that experts say is one of those phrases that has uh, become part of journalistic parlance, and it's become just shorthand for for a way for the journalist to put forward a point of view or a specific proscription for what you should be doing or something you should be thinking without, of course, losing that that journalistic objectivity that we know all journalists possess right because because these journalists don't have an angle they don't have an agenda they're not presenting you with specific stories for a specific reason no they're they're these bastions of objectivity that are sitting godlike over everyone and and are just once in a while deigning to come down from the heavens with their nuggets of wisdom yeah, right, exactly. And of course, this is a great way for them to pretend at that as they always like to, while, of course, giving you exact uh, the exact opposite, telling you exactly what to do and putting it in the mouths of these so-called experts that they get to pick and they get to quote selectively. So let's take a look at uh, a few examples in a little bit greater detail. And again, these are just random samplings that I just took from that uh, experts say scroogle.org search here on the 3rd of December. But here's one that I thought was interesting. Uh, it's from gmenhq.com, gmenhq.com. It is uh, from the 1st of December. And it, it is under the headline, ESPN experts say, New York Giants fall to the pack. Quote, well, the picks are in, and most are in agreement that the Green Bay Packers will stay undefeated after their visit to MetLife Stadium. Given the well-publicized decline the Giants have seen these last few weeks, I was surprised that three of our experts voted in favor of New York. End quote, yada, yada, yada. Now, I certainly didn't find this story interesting for the fact that, uh, oh, three of the experts slated the Giants to upset the Packers this weekend. That's really not my concern. But I thought it was interesting the way that this sets up a narrative of, oh, these experts are, three of the experts are picking the Giants over the Packers. That's that's a big story. So let's write a big story about it. And of course, who are the experts? Well, they're just paid media personalities of ESPN. I mean, it's no one special, really, and no one with any you know special powers of prognostication over you and I. So really what this indicates is subtly telling you what you should be thinking so that when you're around the water cooler and someone's asking about, hey, how about those uh, that Packers-Giants game? Well, now you have an in, you have an angle, you have your own little uh, thing that you can say, well, I know that everyone's going for the Packers, but I think the Giants have a chance. because. So again, it's just trying to implant those ideas and it's, uh, it's not particularly insidious in a case like that. It's just sports picks, who really cares? But it goes to show the underlying mentality of the journalistic profession as it has devolved into these days of these sloppy experts say stories that are really 
really not stories at all, but just implanting of ideas. And uh, let's let's turn to another, perhaps more insidious example. The Montreal Gazette just ran an article November 7th, 2011. Growing wealth disparity underlies Occupy protests, experts say. And from the opening paragraphs, the eight-week-old Occupy Wall Street movement has highlighted mounting anger at a financial system that allowed out-of-control bankers to plunge the global economy into its worst downturn since the Depression, only to bail them out with billions in taxpayer money while they rewarded themselves outlandish bonuses. Some commentators say the answer is tighter financial rules and an end to billion-dollar bank bailouts. But would this make the economy fairer? Would it get the protesters to put down their signs and go home? Such changes might not be enough, say some economic experts. That's because, they say, a deeper underlying cause is behind both the Wall Street protests and the weak financial oversight. A huge and growing wealth disparity between rich and poor. End quote. Now, make of that what you will and agree or disagree with the premise of that as you will. But what does it say that the Montreal Gazette is constructing this story around the idea of experts telling us what is behind the Occupy movement. I mean, don't actually ask the occupiers themselves. Don't let them have the say and shape the narrative of this story. Let's turn to quote-unquote experts, economic experts, by which, of course, they mean professionals who make their living by, by making pronouncements on things like these. So, of course, they have their own vested interests in speaking out one way or another about this or that and pronouncing one way or another on these issues. Let's turn to them because they must be the bastions of truth on this. Let's not actually ask the occupiers, the protesters themselves, what they're in it for. Let's not try to make a story out of that. Instead, let's shape the narrative for them. And I think that's where we start to see the insidious nature of this turn towards experts and and hanging on the words of these so-called experts that, again, of course, the media gets to decide who is the expert and who is merely protester riffraff who can't really be taken at face value because they don't understand the deeper underlying problems. So that starts to get into the the more insidious side of all of this. And here's just another example from moneycontrol.com from December 1st, 2011. Strong market, experts say, ride on the wave, but be cautious. So here is an example of the the principle of expertology at work. Here is something that the average person doesn't really have any ability more than a dart-throwing chimp to decide what way the markets are going to go. So there's there's really no way to predict what the markets are doing, and one expert is uh, is as good as another. Uh, for every expert who says the market's going to go up, I'm sure I could provide one that says it's going to go down. So again, this is the type of story that's shaped by what expert they turn to on what day and what angle they have. And that can affect something that affects people's bottom lines, people's, in some cases, people's life savings and their investments invested into this phony baloney stock market, as I think I hopefully put it well in this week's edition of New World Next Week at newworldnextweek.com, where the Dow is really a meaningless indicator of just how far the the currency itself is devalued. And we talked about that in our recent conversation with Bob Chapman as well. So it's not really an indication of anything except for how far the dollar has gone down. But people still look to it as a bellwether of the economy. So unfortunately, people invest their savings in the stock market, and then they rely on these ridiculous experts say type articles to tell them what to do with that money and where whether they should be pulling out or investing more or where they should be investing, etc. So as I say, this is an insidious process. And the most insidious part of all of this is not any individual story about individual experts saying this or that. Because of course, on one level, we are all aware when we are reading these stories, or at least most of the people I would like to think are aware, that this is of course just one quote-unquote expert's opinion. And I think everyone has, to a certain degree, a little bit of well, hesitancy to just put their blind faith in whatever this or that expert is saying. But I think the most insidious part is the fact that this is such a trend and this has become such an accepted part of the the news media that people actually don't really bat an eyelid at stories like this anymore. Oh, this expert is saying this, this expert is telling us to do that. And people just accept that as if it's just a regular part of the news reporting cycle and not at absolute in-your-face attempt to implant something in your consciousness. 
So that to me is very much uh, part of the the insidious part of all of this and something that I think we need to be at least more actively on guard for if we're not already and more actively informing other people about so that they can get their mental guards up against this very, very subtle but very effective propaganda technique. And as I say, this technique really does range from the very banal, very inane to the extremely serious. So we will be hitting on both today. And of course, let's start with a, a rather banal example. And this is something that I dredged up from CBC News recently. I like to keep abreast of what the, the corporate and the government controlled and the quote unquote alternative media are saying. Again, it can be a great source of information information. And for people who don't understand that concept, I recommend listening to The Enemy, the previous podcast episode of CorbettReport.com. But I, I do subscribe to the CBC National On Demand just to keep up with Canadian mainstream news. And recently they had this piece about the Murdoch uh, news scandal that I thought was so ridiculous, I actually burst out laughing. But uh, I, I imagine that very, very many people watched this without realizing what was going on. So let's see if you can spot this uh, this expert all expertology sleight of hand. Some that were last summer, Murdoch told this committee he believed until 2010 it was all the work of one rogue reporter. Two top executives have cast doubt on that. Former News Corp lawyer Tom Crone and editor Colin Meyer testified Murdoch did know the hacking was widespread. Today, Murdoch turned on them and said they were lying. I believe their testimony was misleading and I dispute it. Which is Media ethics professor Stephen Burnett says clearly someone is lying. Either James Murdoch or his former editor and, and uh, senior legal advisor uh, have lied to the committee, and um, I'm not sure I would um, take the side in that uh, in that particular duel of James Murdoch. Did you catch that? Did you see what they did there? If not, I invite you to just rewind and listen to that one more time, because it's actually quite simple, it's quite basic, but it is so ridiculous. Again, I burst out laughing when I watched it. And for those who don't know the background of this story, of course, this is the Murdoch hacking, phone hacking scandal, the News of the World scandal, and uh, James Murdoch, uh, Rupert Murdoch's son, testifying that in 2010, he didn't know the extent of this. He thought it was just one rogue reporter. And then some other people on the board were saying, no, he knew it was much more widespread. So you have A, James Murdoch saying, I didn't know, I thought it was one guy. Then B, you have the, the other people saying, no, he knew, he knew it was widespread. So they turn to a media ethics professor and they ask him about this. And he says, well, one of them is lying. Really? Oh, you don't say. Wow. Is that what we need to do? Is that the extent of uh, the, the analysis we need to do in order to become a media ethics professor? Well, sign me up because I want that uh, tenure. That is that is the most inane, the most childish, the most stupid piece of reporting I have heard in a good long while. And leave it to the Canadian Broadcasting Corporation to come up with it. They literally turned to a professor to say, hey, this pe person is saying A and this person is saying B. And says, well, one of them must be lying. Well, you don't say. Well, thank you. Thank you for that incredible insight. So again, just another aspect of this system, this expertology in which they set up these ridiculous, ridiculous, Ridiculous points that are so basic that a child could understand it, a, a four-year-old could understand. Yes, if someone says something and someone says something else, one of them is wrong, one of them is mistaken, one of them is lying. And uh, and again, to have to turn to a media pro ethics professor in order to do that, just ridiculous. And just part of the way that the 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 uh, the objectivity, the supposed objectivity of the journalistic profession has been set up, as I say, to try to make it look like these reporters are coming from some godlike position where they don't take sides on anything. So they even have to get someone else to t tell you when someone is lying. Um, just a ridiculous piece of nonsense claptrap. And it just shows not only the devolution of the, the journalistic profession, but unfortunately the devolution of the general public who can't quite even understand how stupid that is. Because I, I'm willing to bet nine out of 10 people who watch that will probably just gloss over it. Oh yes, okay, no big deal. And, uh, and again, that goes to show just how far 
down the road to engineering our society into a bunch of dependent, mindless zombies this already is, and that should be disturbing to anyone who is paying attention. And for those who are, let's turn back to Alan Watt of CuttingThroughTheMatrix.com for a little bit more on this concept and looking at it in one of its more more insidious aspects, not just a uh, fluff piece about uh, the, uh, the Murdoch scandal, but something that's actually quite important. And for that, we're going to turn to a clip from in October 2007 conversation that Alan Watt had on Rude Awakening, a show on CKLN 88.1 FM out of Ryerson University, Toronto, Canada. And we're going to listen to this part of the conversation where they're talking about the expert-run society. Incredible. Yeah, I just saw the uh, the cover of Time Magazine's new global warming issue where they said they called it global warming, had a, a polar bear on the cover standing on sort of broken ice, even though polar bears can swim. Uh-huh. Uh, people can Google that. Go to SeaWorld.org and see they can swim for eight hours at a time, 100 kilometers at a time, on and on and on. Mm-hmm. Um, and all the science is bad for this. But, yeah, it's a $15 book put out by Time Magazine, uh, which basically nickel and dimes us to death in terms of what we can do to prevent global warming without sort of leading to the sort of end conclusion. The glaciers are melting. How much? Mm-hmm. The polar bears are dying. Well, how many? I mean, they don't really finish sentences. So can you can you speak to the, the, the propaganda itself and how it's used and so people understand when they hear something that they need to look for uh, the, the, I guess, the end of the sentence? Yes. The, um, they really have to switch off. To be honest with you, and I really mean this, the television is such a powerful tool for propaganda. It's right in your home. And, it's, and uh, uh, so when you... You go from station to station during news time, you'll find the same format with the same topics all playing at the same time. They never vary because they're all coming from a centralized command. Uh, they come from routers or the AP wireline, which both belong to MI6. That's who started off routers. And, um, and so they, they give you all the only news you're getting. And, and they don't, they bring on experts. Now, Bertrand Russell said, we shall create a nation, a world, he said, where people will be unable to make any decisions for themselves without expert advice. And that's what we have today. If you flick on the weather channel, they'll bring an expert on what clothes to wear for this kind of weather. You know, it's getting that bad. We can't think for ourselves. We're treated like children. Uh, but it has worked. Uh, Russell even went so far as to say, that, that a mother won't be able to change the diaper on her child without expert advice. Well, that's happened now, too. They have courses for this kind of stuff. <laughs> so they have created the kind of society they said they would, and they were quite confident they could do it with the use of all media, especially television and radio and magazines. Unbelievable, Mr. Alan Watt from CuttingThroughTheMatrix.com. Yeah, they've, they've basically erased thousands of years of child-rearing history. Mm-hmm. Uh, can you talk about that? Can you speak to, to the effect on the family this has, the planned effect, and, of course, the evident effect that we can see? Mm-hmm. Well, what interested me was communism and capitalism. Again, the dialectic, the two, one or the other. And, uh, and then we into the books to find out where the origins came from. And I went past all the usual players that they give you, and it did take me to Albert Pike too, who did, who was the head of the Scottish Rite of Freemasonry. He was called the Pope of Masonry, and he trained Giuseppe Mazzini, which is just Joseph Mason in Italian, to start off the World Revolutionary Party. And the guy who took over from Mazzini was Lenin. And they're all funded from London and New York. And this is well documented, this kind of stuff where their funding came from. Uh, we know that Trotsky, for instance, was apprehended in Halifax and, uh, on his way over for the revolution with suitcases full of money. That's in the Canadian records. We can find them quite easily on a search. So I, I said, well, why on earth were the capitalist countries funding communism? And then when you went into the writings of H.G. Wells, who was a propagandist for this organization in London, uh, backed by royal charter, by the Queen and, and the King at the time, um, Wells was picked by uh, Professor Thomas Huxley, the grandfather of Aldo Huxley of Brave New World. And uh, they started what they called the Red Tie School for Revolution uh, under the, the, the guidance of Thomas Huxley. And he and other major authors were trained to be authors and propagandists to bring in a form of globalism. And they said in their own writings that they would put the world at loggerheads with each, with each other by creating a left 
and a right, far left, far right, the, the apparent opposites. But down the road, about 70 years from then, they would, they would get rid of one of them, which would be the dictatorship of the proletariat, and they'd merge the two together for a socialized world, a world run again by experts and groups and uh, panels of bureaucrats. That was to be their ideal world. They called it the third way. And it was so interesting to see Alvin Toffler. His book was being given out free to all the congressional members in the U.S. by Newt Gingrich. Uh, and uh, the book was called The Third Way, The Joining of the Two Systems. Once again, that was Alan Watt of CuttingThroughTheMatrix.com on Rude Awakening on CKLN 88.1 FM. And of course, the link to the full conversation will be available in the documentation section for today's episode. But I certainly hope that you did notice the starting point of that clip. And what was the subject that brought up this expert society? Well, nothing other than the man-made global warming scare. Because I think as anyone who's been keeping a watch on ClimateGate.tv or any of the other climate uh, scare alarmism news that's been coming out over the last few years will know that certainly the prime way in which experts have been interfacing with our lives over the last couple of decades and one of the more insidious ways that this experts say type of reporting has been used over the past couple of decades has been to prop up and further the phony global warming alarmism scare which uh, it's very interesting to watch the way that that scare has been pumped up and manipulated and and basically propounded by the media in a way such as oh well these are scientists scientists are saying this the science is settled the debate is over we must uh, we must start talking about this we must hype up this this alarm because the scientists are talking about it so this is the ultimate end goal of the the scientific priesthood society and the experts say society where if a group of experts so called and so appointed and anointed by the media say something, well, then we must listen to them. And we cannot have any type of intelligent dissent from that because we are not part of that expert group. And that, my friends, is the real insidious part of all of this because it becomes a way of marginalizing any dissent or opposition to the big plans and the big schemes, which as we know in the global warming alarmism scare range from everything from the economic issues, of course a lot of people stand to make a lot of money, to the, of course, the scientists who are often acting just in behalf of their own careers and their own egos and reputations, to the more insidious people at the very top who are puppeteering it for the the eugenic Malthusian ideals that they might possess. So there's a number of conflicting and, and overlapping concerns that are behind this scare. But certainly the common theme uniting it all is, well, we've got these expert scientists on our side, and they're the ones who are going to be the fronting this in the media. And no one will be able to form any type of dissent for to, against this, or we will just try to paint them as lunatics what do you do you dispute gravity i mean what are you what are you on of course i mean you know there's a scientific consensus on this right so this is the end goal of the expert say society and something that came up recently in a, a, a conversation that i had just earlier this week with frequent corbettreport.com and climategate.tv guest dr tim ball of course the retired climatologist who is now living in victoria in canada and we had the chance to talk earlier this week about the climategate 2.0 scandal which i've mentioned a few times in my work now um, on corbettreport.com and of course i am covering on climategate.tv the continuation of the 2009 ClimateGate scandal, a release of thousands of emails from the the people at the very heart of this global warming alarmism scare, showing even more so that uh, they themselves know the science to be really uh, shoddy, extremely shoddy, and uh, not really worth all of the, the trillions of dollars that are looking to be invested in this phony scare over the long haul. So I had the chance to talk to Dr. Ball about this this new release of ClimateGate emails, and and the fact that uh, that this this release is really taking the entire edifice away from this wall of expertology, these expert scientists who know what they're talking about, and thus no criticism can be aimed at them. Well, what does the ClimateGate uh, scandal reveal about what they were really saying all along, and what are the implications of what the general public will think about the scientific community in the wake of this scandal? So let's listen to a short clip from that conversation with Dr. Tim Ball. 
Well, you touched on the the possible ramifications of this release of emails for the the politics of all of this, uh, talking about the uh, uh, the Durban climate conference, which is currently underway. But how about the the ramifications of this release for the interface of science and the general public? Because obviously, one of the the key uh, uh, nexuses between science and the general public in the past twenty years has been climate science, which has garnered so much attention with with the global warming scare. So. What does this uh, say about what what could happen or what might happen with the, the general public now seeing all of the uh, the shenanigans that were being played behind the scenes to try to convince the public and win the PR battle, as they call it? Yeah, well, of course, it, to me, it's the classic uh, cry-wolf uh, syndrome, that if you say that this is terrible and this is going to happen and it doesn't, uh, and of course, that's one of the underlying uh, evidences of the, that the science is wrong, because a good definition of science is the ability to predict. Uh, they, the first two reports that the IPCC came out with, uh, made predictions, and then they realized that their predictions were wrong, and so they changed it to, oh, we do, we make scenarios. Now, the, the the media, of course, picked up those scenarios from the sum, summary for policymakers, and then put them out in the media as if they were predictions, but the IPCC people didn't correct them on that. And and um, so, of course, if your predictions are wrong, um, then people start to question the validity of your science. And then if they find out that you have, uh, have achieved these uh, wrong predictions on which very draconian uh, measures have been taken uh, for, with carbon taxes and uh, cap and trade and, and the huge amounts of, of money uh, lost. And when you look at the impact of uh, alternate energies and biofuels on, on economies and so on, um, then, then people um, start to say, well, I don't, I don't believe anything you tell me. And um, and as I say, that's that's the cry wolf syndrome, isn't it? And and uh, because there are issues that we need to deal with. Now, uh, in that same vein, of course, it, it it's uh, what I've argued is that environmentalists have destroyed environmentalism. One of the things that they did, and this is not just the CRU people, but it's part of the cause, is that they took the moral high ground. They said that only we care about the environment, and only we care about the planet, and only we care about the children and the future, and um, uh, and so they they uh, did it as if to imply that the rest of us don't care. Well, that's an absolute outrage. And now you turn around and say, well, the, you know, the, the environment, they've corrupted the whole thing. Um, and, and, and I've got to be honest, most people didn't want to do some of the things that environmentalism required. I mean, it is a nuisance to have to sort out your garbage and, and to tear off the labels off the cans and all these other things. But in fact, uh, there, are, there are some good things in it. And as I said, environmentalism was a new paradigm and a necessary paradigm. The fact that these people exploited it to push a political agenda and then use climate to do the same thing, that is for the cause, to uh, redistribute the wealth, um, it just completely undermines it. And science uh, is in serious danger of its credibility getting as low as it is for politicians, uh, because, of course, the one thing that all people despise above all else is hypocrisy. And if you recall, a good example of that in this uh, debate was Al Gore, who was the champion of morality and, and uh, you know, the high ground on everybody. And then it was suddenly exposed that his carbon footprint was 20 times the U.S. average. And then when it was pointed out that Prince Charles, who was telling everybody else how to live, had seven cars, including a Rolls Royce, well, that's the sort of thing that um, it just destroys it. Now, when you see that these scientists who have uh, held the moral high ground and said, no, this is the official science, um, it, the science is settled, uh, there's no debate here anymore, and now it turns out that they achieved that through corruption, and, and I know that a lot of the emails I'm getting is that other scientists are saying that climate science is dragging us all down with it. And when you look at um, the, the uh, rigor of peer review control in other sciences compared to what went on with climate science, you can understand their concern. And uh, so it, this to me is going to be a huge headache. 
but particularly with regard to um, uh, dealing with um, environmental issues that, 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 was, that do need to get dealt with. Once again, that was Dr. Timball of D-R-T-I-M-B-A-L-L, drtimball.com. And I hope you will go check out his work and support his legal defense against the uh, the ridiculous lawsuits that have been brought against him for daring to speak up against the so-called scientific consensus. And unfortunately, that's what people who are who are visible and vocal and making rational arguments against the global warming alarmism scare have to put up with. So that's just another aspect of all of this. But I think what that conversation goes to show is that the, the the reputation of science itself is really at stake with things like this. And when you get a group of people coming together and using their quote-unquote scientific credibility to really further a specific political agenda and for that to be exposed, what that really does is, is leave up the entire scientific establishment to potential ridicule and really does call into question the, the extent to which the public can or even should simply put their blind trust in this scientific community. Well, scientists are perfectly objective. They have no, they have no uh, possible means or motives or opportunities for committing any type of fraud on the public, so we must believe whatever they say. Well, of course, that's self-evidently not the case, and I think Dr. Tim Ball posits that as something of a travesty, and I certainly understand that, because he himself, coming as a scientist, obviously wants to see the, the reputation of science not, not be harmed by the actions of these few uh, people at the very heart of this global warming alarmism scare. But on the other hand, perhaps this is almost a good thing. Perhaps the public needs to see from time to time that, yes, this alarmism scare was a politically motivated thing, and they were using their quote-unquote scientific credentials to try to deflect criticism of something that self-evidently deserved to be criticized, and there was rational dissent. And that's now been proven in spades by the internal emails of ClimateGate 2.0. For example, the one in which one of the researchers is saying, hey, you know, Steve McIntyre at Climate Audit, he, he was right. He said that you could put in random garbage uh, data into this, uh, into this equation that, that Mac- Michael Mann was using, and you would still get a hockey stick graph. And I tried it, and you know what? He's right. So again, we see, again, from within their own ranks, the fact that they knew that this science was flawed and yet continued to say that the science was settled and all of the other ridiculous arguments that they tried to use, again, hiding behind their scientific credentials. Well, now that we see that for what it is and we see it being exposed, perhaps the public will get a little bit wiser to the scheme and will not be so quick to jump on the next bandwagon being promoted in the name of science and using supposedly scientific experts as the the guard or the veneer or the facade through which they can uh, puppet or hide or, or Trojan horse their next political idea. So this is a, an important point and one that I'd like to make in a, a different scientific context and this time a very, very different one. We're going to turn to PBS Frontline, which had an episode recently about the vaccine wars. And this is talking, of course, about the, the topic that we've talked about on this podcast many times about the vaccines and the malicious aspects of some of the vaccines and the reason that more and more people are refusing the vaccines. And this is unsurprisingly something that the scientific community and mainstream alternative, quote unquote, uh, broadcasts like Frontline see as a growing menace. So I think you'll see that cropping up in this supposedly objective piece. But let's take a listen to this episode of Frontline, The Vaccine War. In the vaccine war, two kinds of knowledge compete for the public attention. The collective but dry conclusions of the scientific community and the personal anecdotes of parents. Jenny McCarthy. Something happened. And when I say something, I mean a behavior, a trigger, something different happened to our children, which then led to autism. Do I know that exact link? No. I don't have that proof, but I've got evidence in Evan. Just one leaf? And I've got evidence in thousands and hundreds of thousands of parents all over the world. And these are the mommy warriors that will make change because we have to. Dr. Cynthia Christophany. It's a tragedy that their kids who are unprotected because their parents are choosing not to vaccinate out of fears that are unfounded. 
The other tragedy is that the kids who have autism, who desperately need better research into why and, more important, what to do about it now, that research isn't being done, at least to the degree that it should have been, because most of the would-be research, those dollars and hours have been lost. Any pain behavior that you can't explain? Like, yeah, I don't know, maybe you have some suggestions. CDC is involved in a five-year study called SEED, a study to explore early development, to help identify what might put children at risk for autism spectrum disorders and other developmental disabilities. But it's not clear that such scientific studies will settle the vaccine war. To the contrary, public skepticism of scientific authority seems to be growing fueled in part by a new battleground where ideas fight for public attention, the Internet. Thank you for calling CDC Info. Christine Schutte, CDC. It's not just about the science. We wish it were. Unfortunately, the issue persists. And one of the challenges is that once something gets up on the Internet, it's there. There are new cohorts of parents every day going to the internet, reading about that for the first time. The web really has served to keep these controversies um, alive that really should be non-controversies. There's absolutely no control over what appears on the internet. And you can post anything you like, true or not. The Center for Disease Control, Nazi organization. Those original myths are still there, and they're hard to counteract. You know, conspiracy theories tend to be popular, and it's hard to undo that kind of damage. Many parents are no longer willing to take the word of their doctor on faith or to accept the conclusions of the medical establishment, frustrating public officials charged with protecting the health of the community. I am a mother of a two-and-a-half-year-old and haven't done any vaccines um, at all, and I feel very safe and very comfortable with my decisions. <laughs> I'm an, a midwife, and I'm also the co-leader of the Rogue Valley Holistic Moms Network, which is a national... Ashland's public health officer, Dr. Jim Shames, meets periodically with parents to talk about their responsibilities for the public health. Do you feel that when you say no thank you, that you might be putting anybody else at risk besides your child? This is the major thing that we're always up against. Public health officials are looking at the good for all. Mothers are looking at the good for their one child. And that's very important for them. It's the most important thing. It's their world. When you make that decision for your child, which you have a right to do, do you think you may be affecting other children? Do I believe that I'm causing harm by not vaccinating my child? No, I don't. Because if the vaccines work, who am I putting at risk? So let's, let's talk about that. Now, not everybody can get immunized. That, child right there is probably too young to get immunized against pertussis. If your child gets pertussis by not getting the vaccine and your child passes it on to a delicate newborn. I, I really don't believe it. I feel like, I, um, first of all, I feel like it would be responsible to then quarantine my child and not expose them to other, you know, potentially um, fragile populations. A lot of diseases are transmitted before you even know you're sick. It's my responsibility as a parent to keep my child safe, I think. And I don't think it's your responsibility to take a vaccine because I might be at the same party with you and you might cough on her. Honestly, I think your job is to protect your own health. And I mean, maybe I sound, I really don't mean to be sounding selfish in that way. Has, there has to be some step beyond just, I take responsibility for me and my kids because there's things that happen in the best of intentions that diseases do get transmitted. Yes. And that, to me, is the heart of the issue, because fundamentally what this is about is not even which side of the vaccine debate is right. It's not about the, the vaccine advocates who are uh, beholden to the scientific institutions or the anti-vaxxers who are, of course, internet-fueled conspiracy mongers, as portrayed in that very balanced frontline piece. But the, the heart of the issue is health freedom. Do people have the right to say what will or will not go into their or their children's bodies? Or does the government have the right to come in and say what you must or must not put into your body? And uh, and as we've seen, unfortunately, this debate evolve into is the, the 
position which a lot of the uh, pro-vaccine people have taken that yes the government not only has that right but has the duty to do so in this case because of course an unvaccinated child puts the vaccinated population at risk too but wait those kids are vaccinated so they're they're safe right because you you trust in that so so that means they're they're okay so the, why are you concerned about the unvaccinated children? It's really of no concern because your children are... Oh, what's that? No, the vaccinated children aren't necessarily protected against the things they're vaccinated against? Oh, wait. Okay. Anyway, as I say, it's not my position or intention right now to get into the vaccine debate, but... I thought that was an interesting little slice that cuts to the very heart of the matter because, again, what we have here is the setup of the the scientific establishment versus those crazy anti-vaxxers who don't have any science on their side. And uh, if you go and listen to the full report, which I suggest you do, again, don't take my word for it and don't take my characterizations for it. But I think if you listen to the full report, you'll see the overall tenor of that report, which, of course, is the uh, scientific establishment says this and those crazy conspiracy mongers say this and uh, and that's pretty much the way they set up the debate. And again, that paints us into the, the corner of, oh, well, this is what the experts say, so we better do it. And let me just clarify at the end here. I'm, the point of today's episode is not to say that ever, everything is an opinion and everyone's opinion is equally valid and therefore there's, you know, no expert opinion is worth anything. That's not what I'm trying to say here. I think there is an objective reality that can be arrived at through a scientific process. And I think people who, for example, have spent years upon years upon years researching a subject and really looking into it and, and thinking about it deeply probably are more qualified to to have an opinion and to 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 really express their 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 findings and their research and and what they found on this or that issue than people who have spent no time whatsoever looking into it but we have to keep in mind the fundamental point that expert says expert says this expert says that is not an argument that is called an appeal to authority that is a logical fallacy if you say believe me because i am an expert that is a logical fallacy and no one should accept that as a valid argument for reasoning on any position it should be well i have been spending years researching this and this is what i found and this is what we did and this is how we arrived at these conclusions and if that data is presented in that way then people have the right to to take a look at it and and come to their own decision about it but to have this expert says type narrative constructed in the in the journalistic profession uh, so that the journalists can always just side with whatever the uh, the prevailing political norms as protected by the scientific establishment says well if that uh, if that paradigm holds then unfortunately we'll see things like the global warming alarmism scare and many others crop up in the future so i guess the main message for today is buyer beware Always, always, always approach every news story critically with your critical thinking cap on. And that goes for the alternative media and that goes for the Corbett Report and everything else out there equally as much as anything else. Don't take anyone's expert opinion for it just because they're an expert. Look into what they say. Look into the facts that either support or refute what they're saying and come to your own decision. We are not children. And unless we take our own mental faculties for ourselves and become adults, and become responsible for our own mental decisions, well, then we will unfortunately only be children in the cradling arms of the loving New World Order. That's all for today. I am your host, James Corbett, thanking you for joining me and asking you to join me again next week for another edition of The Corbett Report.